TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands Podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports, Sports Radio 94 WIP. I say it all the time, but if you don't, download the Odyssey app. You get all the episodes first. It's the best way to catch the new episodes. But more importantly, and I say this all the time too, excited to be here, excited to talk about a Sixers win. I feel like they're slowly uh, racking up a good record in games after we record. So it feels like we're having a positive impact on the team. But uh, I am L.A. Shore Parks here with the one and only Kyle Newbeck. Kyle, what's going on, man? Yeah, you know, as journalists, we have to make sure we take all the credit for the team's success. It's all it's all about us. Uh, I'm good, man. Um, to your point, I think the Sixers are now, was it 23 and 14, I want to say, yep. something like that. Um, and they are not that far off of the, the top teams in the East. Brooklyn is now, you know, well, right it's- there near the tippy top after we were mocking them for beating a bunch of trash can teams. Well, also, um, since I went on my rant saying they're not a real team, I'm never going to believe in them. I don't care. They've been, they've looked like the most unstoppable team in the league. I think Durant had like 42 points or something like that crazy uh, last night. Now, they did lose, if I'm not mistaken. They, they lost last night. But yeah. I, will, I will maintain my stance on the Nets that they are not a real team. I will believe in the Nets once in playoff time, all three of their, you know, and yes, Ben is a star, whether people like to admit it or not. All three of their main players are healthy. I actually think there's the Sixers are a way more reliable team than the Nets are. I just I can't I can't believe in them. I like their players better in some ways, but I I refuse to believe in the Brooklyn Nets despite their uh their obviously impressive recent stretch of games. Well, and last night I didn't watch the game because I was at the Sixers game, obviously. Right. But they lose to Chicago, and I from what I gathered uh, reading about the game, Ben Simmons had a. Uh, a vintage like playoff Ben Simmons type yeah. game. Well, I so, saw his box score was pretty Ben like. It was not, you know, super impressive. By the way, did you see um I think it's Scotty Barnes in Toronto is getting like the Ben Simmons treatment now. Like no one's guarding him. Oh it's yeah. A painful reminder of what it used to be like with Ben out on the uh, perimeter. Well it's a funny, you know, it's a funny reminder. Scotty Barnes end of last year people are anointing him it's like oh my god toronto's yep. gonna be crazy or dangerous next year just wait for year two scotty barnes and now he's like you know hasn't improved at all and teams have kind mm-hmm. of figured out how to defend him and that was another crazy game last night by the way did you see what happened uh milwaukee was up by 
16 points with under two minutes left. Really? Toronto had only scored 70, like 72 points or something ridiculously low. And Toronto somehow tied it and sent it to overtime, but then still ended up losing. So, Well, I saw that at the beginning of the game, it was something like 10 to 5 with three minutes to go. It sounded like my worst possible nightmare of a game. Like no no offense, all or at least bad offense, and uh, presumably some good defense if they kept it that low. But no, I mean, look, if you you know talk about Toronto, we talked about Brooklyn. Um, you know, the Sixers are starting to look not that bad compared to, to other teams in the East. And part of it is because... They just seem to always win now. I know, uh, you know, obviously coming off the win over the Pacers uh, last night, um, I had a chance to obviously watch that full game. You were there. I'm excited to get your takeaways. But, I mean, for me, it was a win even before the game started. When I saw that lineup and I saw Harden, Maxi, and Melton all in the lineup, a three-guard lineup, I was I was a happy guy heading into that game. And then obviously at the end, clearly, you know, they come away with the win. But what did you think of the game last night? And, uh, you know, what did you think of the fact that Doc was willing to start those three guards? Well, so this week he has spent a lot of time with this three-guard lineup. And mm-hmm. you could say it's a product of who they've played. Like New Orleans without Brandon Ingram is playing some smaller lineups. Indiana almost always plays smaller lineups. Now, obviously, uh, Miles Turner. Yeah. is a like an actual big man so pj had his struggles against him although and they ended up as, as somebody that i think miles turned his over and a half, over under for rebounds was eight and a half it's unreal how how much he stays on the perimeter like he is not a <laughs> joe by the basket guy i'm watching that game i'm like jesus christ but no yeah he he certainly is is uh he he was decent last night but yeah he was not a rebounding machine and the sixers have not been good with rebounding so i thought he would really kill it but he did yeah so to me, the takeaway watching the three-guard lineup <laughs> is that DeAnthony Melton is the guy who's going to make that work. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's been the guy who's just made every lineup work this year. Like him being on the floor just automatically raises the floor of the lineup. Like you see in crunch time last night, but he also throughout the game, him like flying through the air for offensive rebounds. Like he's beating guys who have better positioning who are bigger than him, whatever it is, or I should say taller because he does have a long wingspan. Then he's also hitting, you know, some clutch threes on either side of the floor. He's moving around. Like I I think one thing he's really good at that I've noticed more now that I watch him every day is cutting to the middle of the floor and then immediately whipping a pass when he gets it to the Mm -hmm. opposite corner, hitting an open corner shooter. Like he just does a lot of little things and plays, you know, I think bigger than, you would think he would be at his size. And so that's going to help empower all these lineups. Like, honestly, at this point, the question is more, does the Harden maxi combo end up working defensively? Cause I like, I don't have any reservations about putting Melton in like any kind of small ball lineup. I think he's well, he has awesome. to be on the court in the big moments and yeah. the games, all those things. I mean, he absolutely has to be out on the court. Yeah, so it's about the rest of the roster, really. Like, the weird thing last night was that, and I thought this was the right move, is that Montrez Harrell got the the important end-of-game reps because he was having such a good game. Yeah. And PJ, as PJ has had a lot this year, just was <laughs> not in good shape. Was not, yeah. it was not, like I was saying, with Miles Turner, that was not a good matchup for him. I thought they did some goofy stuff schematically. Like, they're, if you're going to play the small ball lineup and say, we don't really care about Miles Turner. You should just switch everything instead of asking PJ to be a drop big like Joel Embiid. Like that doesn't make 
any mm-hmm. sense. He's not big enough to protect the rim, do all that stuff. Um, but honestly, the biggest takeaway is neither team played defense for most of that game. It was the yeah. uh, it was an Elliott Shore Parks special right there. So I loved it, man. So I loved it. It was a great game. But no, I mean, you talked about uh, Melton. First of all, I agree with you. He plays bigger than he is. I mean, he I know he's he's bigger than Maxi. Like he he looks stronger than Maxi too. But to me, I think he's been the most pleasant surprise of the season in a lot of ways. I mean, I think he had five threes last night. He's reached a point now, at least not last night, whenever I see him shoot it, I almost expect it to go in. I would trust him to take a big three in a in a big moment. But and I don't want to call him a three and D player because he's more than that. But man, he's just been He's been so impressive. And I think it's at a point where he, like I said, he has to be on the court in big moments. He has to start. I don't think you can take him out of the starting lineup for Maxi. Um, that creates an interesting decision again with the three guard lineup. And I, again, would pull PJ out of the starting lineup. But yeah, I just think what Melton has shown recently is incredibly promising for the Sixers. We've talked on pods about, you know, could he be a hypothetical trade piece? Because he does make a decent amount of money. He does have value. I'm at a point where he is he is on uh, basically untouchable. I don't want to say completely untouchable because you never know what the offer will be. But I think he's been he's been awesome. He's been everything they could have hoped. And when you look at what he gives them, if Harden and I thought Harden was pretty good last night for some stretches, but if Harden's going to be the playmaking guy, then having Melton as you know can cut to the basket, can make threes. He's really a good he's a good pairing with Harden, especially when you talk about my least favorite side of the court, the defensive side. Yeah, I just think like he makes a lot of the plays I think people wanted to see PJ make this year. The like nitty gritty, diving for balls, coming up with offensive rebounds. And then on top of that, can beat guys off the dribble. Now, for whatever reason, he like sucks at shooting layups. I know. That's like the one thing. It drives me crazy with him. Like he gets to the basket enough that if he could make layups at a higher clip, you know, he's adding two to four points per game yeah. easily. But just the the variety of things he's bringing to the floor is just incredible. Even as someone who I watched Memphis quite a bit when he was there and was pretty excited in terms of like what the versatility he's bringing. But he's still even even with all that has exceeded my expectations. Um, and he's going to be the guy that makes this all work. Like Like you said, I don't think you can keep him off the floor in basically any important moment. And, you know, I do think we've probably talked about their depth a little bit and bench struggles at times, like whether Matisse Thibel has it on a night-to-night basis. I thought he was actually pretty good against Indiana, had another good game off of the bench. He's been good recently, right? I feel like in general, he's been much better recently. Yeah, and but so I think Melton's, you know, rise to prominence here where we're talking about him basically having to close and you know the debates with him starting it shows that how this team has improved even if we don't talk about a lot because to have a two-way guy that's like man they can't keep him off the floor that started the season on the bench like that that's not something that has happened in years past they've had like three or four good players and those guys they have to ride until the wheels fall off so the fact that they can kind of rotate through these guys a little bit and that they have someone stepping up in this way. And then you have, you know, Matisse Thibel's in a good groove. Trez had a good game mm-hmm. against the Pacers. And, you know, if PJ ever has a pulse again, you know, maybe we'll be <laughs> talking him. about, uh, you know, so 
I don't know. I, I'm encouraged by this stretch of play because obviously they've been great with Joel on the floor, but they also are able to win minutes in different ways. And, you know, they have more outs than I think they've had in the past. Well, so I got, I got a couple thoughts off of that. One is um, we've had this debate on the pod and I have this debate all the time with my friends. Like has Daryl Morey done a good job since he's been here. Right. And I think that last night, now Maxie's not been that good since he returned, but in general, we would all agree Maxie has clearly exceeded expectations coming into the year. Everyone was very high on him. For as much as I love guards, and I do, the fact that Maury was able to, since he's been here, I mean, he is why Maxie and Melton are here. He pulled off the Melton trade. He drafted Maxie. And you know, when we talk about the windows, win now, whatever, Maxie and Melton are not a bad guard combo to have to build around. Now, neither of them have great uh size like they're not you know six 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 seven or whatever but in terms of just if your best player is going to be in b and he's going to be a center having those two guards on the perimeter that can both shoot threes that are both fast and athletic i mean one common criticism i have of the team and we've had this year since doing the pod is the games where they struggle is when they play teams that are super athletic long that can get out and run the pacers are one of the best teams in the league at getting out and running and I think that Maxie and Melton really, really helped them in that because they're both young, fast, athletic guards. Melton's not Maxie fast, but he's certainly athletic. So I give Maury credit for the fact that when he walked into a situation where he didn't have a ton of room, uh, he was able to bring both those guys in. Yeah, so I would say, by and large, Daryl's been good for the team, right? Like the Maxie draft pick. Even like one of the big complaints that people have had is like, look at Isaiah Joe in Oklahoma City, how they let oh, him go. It's like I saw what he did. They yeah. did draft that guy. And like they've been they have had consistent hits, or at least like for relative to the second round. They've had pretty consistent hits in the second round of guys who have at least like, all right, those guys can compete for minutes on this team. Like they yeah. might be able to carve out a role. Like Paul Reed's out of the rotation right now, but has been has played minutes where it looks like he could be, if not the short term guy, maybe the long term backup center if he gets an opportunity. And so to to get guys like that in the second round, on top of, you know, Horford and his contract, he was a disaster here. Was never going to work. They turn him into Danny Green. They trade Josh Richardson, who was a bad fit at the time, for Seth Curry, who was awesome while he was here. Ends mm-hmm. up being part of the Harden trade, like. There are a lot of good moves. I, I understand PJ has underwhelmed this year, right? And Daniel House Jr. has certainly underwhelmed. But, you know, what I try to look at it as is what are the moves they would have made otherwise if they didn't sign those guys? Mm-hmm. And you look at, like, who was signed for the mid-level. The two guys that come to mind to me that, like, okay, maybe they would be better use of resources are if you had signed either Gary Payton the second or Bruce Brown with the, the money you used to sign PJ. Are you a better team? Maybe, but one, Gary Payton the second just played his first game of the season the other day. So you would have had to play the first, you know, was it like two months, two and a half months yeah, without, yeah. without that guy? And Bruce Brown, I think he is a, a really good, really versatile player, but he makes a lot more sense on a team like Denver, which is where he's at, rather than Philadelphia that, they need somebody who is comfortable spending most of their time spacing the floor. Like, yeah, in these small ball lineups where they're doing goofy things, somebody like Bruce Brown would be really helpful. He's an athletic, good defender, can do some playmaking off the dribble, do some different stuff. But 
I don't know that he ends up being a good fit here. So like if those are the two alternatives and, you know, we could go down the list of other guys they could have given the money to, then mostly you just have to hope that PJ comes good at some point. And, you know, we're going to, I think we're going to get to doc in a little bit here, but I will say one thing that I think he's done a good job of is he isn't really overextending PJ or playing PJ through these minutes where on nights where PJ doesn't have it, Doc's like, all right, you're not playing in crunch time. This has not been a thing where they just play him in the minutes that matter because, you know, they promised him a certain role or he's making a certain amount of money. Like he is starting and that has continued and maybe that stops at some point. But I think, you know, there are a lot of games where PJ is playing like 18 minutes or 20 minutes and they're spending crunch time with like George Niang on the floor because he's hot from the field that night or they're playing three guards against the Pelicans and they're doing different stuff. So, you know, I think that's been a big credit to Doc is that he's not just leaning on the veteran guy and saying, all right, that it's just. I'm on autopilot. We're just going to do this because it's what we wanted to do coming into the year. And I think that also speaks to the roster versatility we're talking about. They they're not pigeonholed into if PJ doesn't play, they're screwed because they have to play, you know, Furkan Korkmaz or Mm -hmm. Jaden Springer, who he hasn't done basically anything. He basically doesn't exist besides getting daily messages that he's going up and back to Delaware. Like that's the only time I ever hear about him. But, um, well, on the last pod, I, we talked about how their role players, to me, didn't look playoff ready. They're not guys you want playing those minutes. But I think that is one thing that's changed since we talked, and especially coming off last night. I know it's only one game, so you don't want to super overreact. But I'll say this about PJ and uh, and Harrell. That Harrell last night showed, obviously, stepped up in a big spot, um, You know, probably the best game he'll ever have in a Sixers uniform. He was good, I thought, on both ends, at least way better on offense, but good enough on um on defense. But I think what, what you have in PJ, and I think this is something to remind myself and, and other fans throughout the years. If PJ just has four really good playoff games, then he's worth that money. You signed PJ for the playoffs. If he does a decent job on Giannis in one of the series, or if he, you know, makes three threes, or really what we talked about when they signed him, and I hate the phrase, but the whole he's going to bring that dog type of thing or dog mentality to, to borrow an Eagles term, but to just give that team the, the toughness. I think to your point, the fact that he's only playing 18 minutes a game, it kind of doesn't matter what you see from PJ in the regular season. It's about getting him to the playoffs and hoping come playoff time that he'll be better. Now, the question is, how quickly is Doc willing to to pull him if he's not playing well, right? Because if you're you're getting this version of PJ, then that's not good enough in the playoffs. But I do wonder, especially someone like him, if he's on a bit of a coast mode of, you know what, like, let's just get to the playoffs, you know, hope my hand comes back to life. And then that's when you get the best version of PJ. But I thought between, you know, that and Harold, there is some more optimism for the role players than there used to be. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do think speaking of the hand, the one thing you criticize like him slash the organization for us, like, why is he playing through? Yeah, why is he playing through it? Right. It's like a goofy. Clearly, they don't absolutely need him. There are definitely matchups where I think PJ's made a big impact. But, you know, by and large. We're watching him struggle on offense. You watch mm-hmm. him run down the floor. He's shaking his hand. It's, you know, it's yeah, he's obviously, not it exactly either. You know, yeah, not- it's obviously a problem for him. So, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't just try to give him some time off to get right. I know that'll make you thinner in the middle of the regular season where the minutes are piling up for other guys. But mm-hmm. I do think that that has to be 
the, the goal has to be PJ is PJ when the playoffs are here. That's what you sign them to do is defend the Jason Tatums and the Giannis's and the, the guys like that of the world to play mm-hmm. against teams that have bigger wings that need that, you know, work against Kevin Durant if they were to play Brooklyn in the playoffs too. He's going to lean on guys for, for most of 48 minutes. And PJ historically has been a better playoff guy. Like his game yeah. is just, it translates better to playoff basketball where you get away with playing more physically and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they have to keep their eye on that. Um, and I think that is part of why Doc has, you know, been pretty quick to pull him when he's been bad in some of these uh, big moments or second halves of games. But I almost think they need to go even further. Like if, if this is just PJ saying he refuses to sit down, like he wants to keep playing. I admire that. Like I respect that he's tough enough that he's going to play through stuff like that. But at yeah. a certain point you got to sit him down and say, look, if this is impacting your play, we have to do something to, to get you right. Because if, we, if they just let it continue and he can't make a layup or a three for you know most of the year, that's not helping anybody. Certainly not PJ. Well, what's interesting is PJ seems like the poster child for it doesn't give a shit about the regular season. It only cares about the playoffs. Like he's a veteran. I, so I would think that that would be his mentality. But the fact that he wants to keep playing through it would go against that. I agree with you that I think they need to sit him down and say, get your hand right. You know, this is what we want. We're not going to think any less of you, right? Like we need you to sit down and do this. And maybe that is what will happen, especially now that Maxi has been back. I did have two Maxi questions for you. One, how do you think he's looked since he's come back? And I'll, I'll hold the second one until, until after that. Uh, bad would be. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be too harsh. I, I think. Uh, you can tell a lot of, on a lot of these shots that he just doesn't have the legs yet. There's a lot mm-hmm. of jumpers coming up short and he's not getting the spots, you know, maybe as quick as he would like the pace shows up from time to time, but it's not consistent and he's struggling around the rim, which that was sort of a problem uh, in the, the hardened list games when he was running a lot more of the offense before he got hurt. So I don't know how much that we want to chalk up to injury. I did think he had a stretch. I want to say like late third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter that I thought he played really well against Indiana. It was like, he looked closer to old max. He mm-hmm. made a few plays for teammates. He hit a floater. He had a three in the second half and all that was good, but he just looks like a guy who is not all there yet. And yeah. I, I think that's really understandable because when you have a foot injury, you can't do a lot of like, you know, lifting and exercising and other stuff. There's just nothing that you can really do. You're off of your feet until the foot is healed. And you can see that with him. Like clearly yeah. this is a guy that was, and he's not James Harden in the sense that before, while James is working himself back uh, after his injury, he's such a good playmaker and passer that he can get away with, you know, he doesn't have the legs yet, but, he'll get to a spot and he can whip a behind the back pass on the money from like 20 feet away. Whereas Tyrese needs that speed and the ability to get downhill and his shot combined with that to open up the lanes to be a playmaker. And so with him not having the legs to score right now, everything else has been kind of a struggle. I think last night against Indiana is probably the best game he's had so far. And that's good in the sense that I think he has been, 
you know, trending upwards slightly, but they need him to find the shooting touch at some point, because if he doesn't, I think he's been sort of a disaster defensively. And that's been the one problem with these small lineups. And this was really prevalent when they were playing PJ back there too, is you can tell these guys have not played a lot of minutes together that they need to get reps in a lot of blown switches and rotations and, you know, Tyrese, I think, tries to overcompensate for his size at times. He plays hard and, like, wants to be a good defender. But there are a lot of times, because I think he has it in his mind that he's got to work harder than other guys, he'll overextend himself, like, plant one way. He's, like, jumping back and forth with the other guy as they're about to make a move. And then the guy hits, like, a quick crossover or hesitation move. They go the exact opposite direction. And then Maxie's on his hip and has, like, no chance to make a play. So that's the stuff that needs to be cleaned up. But honestly, we won't really even think about it if he just gets back to not even like 100% of the guy he was to start the year, but even like 80%, 90% of that guy. Yeah, and I, mean, I think he was, you know, he was something like minus 18 or whatever in, uh, against the Pelicans. So he 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 has struggled. I agree he's come back. But here's something I was thinking last night watching Melton kind of do what he does. Um, does he have a higher ceiling than Maxie? Like, do you think that we talk so often about Maxi as the the you know the, the player on the roster with the most potential, the next kind of tent pole or whatever the expression is for this organization? But Melton's not old; he can shoot threes, he can defend. I think the biggest concern with Maxi is his physical size. You don't have that issue as much with Melton. Now they have both, so it's you know it's not an either or question. But do you think it's time we start talking about Melton in the same vein that we talk about Maxi, or even potentially higher? I wouldn't go that far. I think it's actually, I would say Maxi is the higher ceiling and Melton has the higher floor. And on a team where, as we've discussed a lot, this is like, it's this year and we don't really know how big this window is or if the window even really exists for this group. Melton might end up being the more important guy this season because of that. Like Mm -hmm. you're not going to go into crunch time of a playoff game and feel like, man, Melton just can't be out there because he can't defend. Whereas with Tyrese, you put him next to James, those two might just take turns getting hunted in a playoff game or in a playoff series. And actually, we didn't even discuss this, by the way. James Harden made like two game-saving defensive plays against Indiana, which is maybe the most unlikely outcome could have had in that game. So I, I give James some credit. I think he's been playing harder there and that's like half the battle with him because he is big and long enough that he's going to get beat for speed by a bunch of guys but strength he can hold up against you know most of the league mm-hmm. and he's got good hands so he he gets a lot of hands on balls guys driving or with help defense batting balls away so if he's just engaged i think that makes a big difference uh, but on the maxi melton thing i i do think that's that's what it's all about like melton gives you a higher floor. And so that helps the the Embiid's and the Hardens of the world a lot, that they have some form of uh, solidity outside of them. But Tyrese, we've seen him, you know, he can go on these insane scoring runs that he can flip a game and he could flip a series potentially in the right matchup or if he's in the right groove. So, you know, I, I think they're going to need both. I think they need both sides of that coin. And it's why I keep talking about this three guard look that, you know, I think they've 
they're trying to use a lot. They have not been shy about, you know, even when it's not uh, one of Maxie or Melton, I think Shake Milton's getting, yeah. you know, looks within that lineup too. Like they, they seem to understand that this might be their path toward, you know, being the team they need to be in the playoffs. And so I'm glad to see them, even when the lineups don't work, I'm glad to see this work happening now rather than, you know, we get to mid April or late April, early May, and it's like those guys are playing together for the first time. They're they've been given this opportunity to figure this out now, and that's going to make them better over the long term. What do you? Why do you think they're trying this all of a sudden? Because the question we had was, is Doc even going to be willing to do it? Um, and he has, which is awesome to see. And we'll get to the Doc discussion in a second. But what do you think is, has triggered them to do this all of a sudden? I I just think they're healthy. Like I I don't think they've really. I I think we saw it a little bit. We saw Shake in these. Um, in these lineups a little bit when Maxi was hurt, mm-hmm. but I think by and large, they've wanted to play smaller. Like I think when they had everybody available to start the year, those small lineups with PJ at center, those were some of their best units they had on the entire roster. Like they, that in the second game of the year, their home opener against Milwaukee, that's the lineup that got them back into the game and, and made that a tight game in the fourth quarter. Like, they want to be able to play these smaller groups. And I think they know that's their destiny is in the playoffs. It's probably not going to be Trez or Paul Reed at backup center matchup dependent. It's going to be PJ and a smaller, more athletic version of this team. I going back to when they signed PJ, I was getting texts from when I would write things, you know, like people in the organization, like to check in on what you're saying and doing at all times. Yeah. And as I was depending (laughs) And as I was talking about PJ and his role with the team, I was getting texts from people saying, hey, just so you know, you should have a a consideration in these articles that I think PJ is going to play a decent amount of center this year. And that that was part of why they signed him. Like that was not a, oh, he might get there. It's like that's part of the appeal is that they can use these lineups where now, again, that lineup specifically didn't look great because PJ has not been Bingo. himself lately. Yeah. But I do think that speaks to, you know, this is not just something they're falling into. I think it's something they've wanted to do for a while. And I think as Melton has trended upward here over the last, you know, really the whole season, like it's just gone up and up and up over the course of the year. I think as he has gotten better, it's like, well, we can't keep this guy off the floor. We're not going to sit James and Tyrese is a really important part of the future. So they have to play these guys together. It's the only way they're going to be able to, you know, get all their most important perimeter guys on the floor together. Man, the idea of a small ball lineup in the playoffs when Embiid's out is just so much more enticing than some of the other options we've seen. And just in general, surrounding Embiid with quicker guards that can all shoot. um, You know, maybe we're not going to see the best version of this team until the playoffs, but it feels like a real path forward of one you can believe in and see how they could be competitive against these teams, especially if Maxi gets back to Maxi as someone that can shoot the way he can shoot, that can kind of take over games. You had Melton Harden, I think, has been playing good enough for a long enough stretch where you believe in him. And if this team has three guards that you feel confident about going into the playoffs, that's such a huge change in what we've seen in the past. I mean, even last year, Harden probably wasn't playing his best going into the playoffs. They didn't even have Melton. Maxi was where he was in his career. You look at the year before, Nobody believed in Ben. Maxi was a rookie. They didn't have Harden or Melton. So one of the big differences between this team when we talk about 
why you should believe in them as opposed to past years. Maybe it isn't just praying and beats healthy. Maybe it's that they have three legit guards that they can trust on come crunch time. One thing I did want to talk to you about, uh, and hopefully it's not a super long conversation, but Joel Embiid didn't play last night um, out with a foot injury. He twisted his ankle in the previous game. Uh, what do you know about it? Is it something people should be concerned about? And do you think he'll play in their next game? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Uh, so the read I have is that he might not play against Chicago on Friday. I don't think this is a long-term issue. It is something that the team was not willing to say that it was because of the the play at the end of that game against New Orleans, but that it's something that, you know, he dealt with a little bit of pain in the same foot earlier in the year that if this was like March and they're fighting for home court with some of these teams, I think he probably would play these games, but because we're in early January, because there's just not a lot of upside to playing a big guy dealing with foot pain in games against like Indiana and Chicago, I think they're taking the, uh, the cautious approach. Um, I I would question somehow they used him recently. Like, I don't know why he played against Oklahoma city. For example, there's just no Mm -hmm. reason to play him against, a bad team on a back-to-back on New Year's Eve. You're sitting now. James sat and PJ sat, so I think it was probably like, well, we need one of these guys. To yeah, but it should be at the top of that pecking order. It should be what's Embiid doing, and right. then you decide after, right? And honestly, I, if I'm them, I'd rather lose to the Thunder, and they had no chance to lose to the Thunder that night because the Thunder sucked. But yeah. I'd rather lose to the Thunder than overexpose Joel. Um, now I'm sure he has quite a bit of say in that I, I know he's aware that for MVP type discussions that every game he misses ends up weighing a lot heavier for him than other guys which is a mm-hmm. sort of a weird thing because of his uh his past but but yeah I, I don't think it's anything to be super concerned about but a big guy with a foot pro or not foot problem with foot soreness is something you have to take very seriously and 
it's the right thing that they're doing right now. It's just saying we don't need him for these games. And, you know, James and Tyrese and DeAnthony and these other guys can get us through for the time being. Yeah. And, you know, we talk so much about the reps this team gets together. It's not the end. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> wow. Sorry. It's not the end of the world if this team gets reps without Embiid. Because the reality is he does miss time in the playoffs. He's not 100% normally when they get there. Now, the hope is he's perfectly healthy. And you get plenty of time the rest of the season to get those reps with him. But I, you know, if you can watch a version of a team led by Harden, Melton, and Maxi, where you feel confident about them as well, that's not the end of the world to get Trez more time with those guys, to maybe see PJ as a small ball five, to see how Toby's role changes. So while clearly Embiid is the key to this whole thing, they're not winning a title without Embiid, not the end of the world to get the non-Embiid lineup uh plenty of plenty of reps together. Yeah. So we could probably use this to segue into I know we wanted to talk about Doc Boy, and whether Doc, he's yeah. whether he's a good coach. Like, so I have been I've tried to on a lot of these discussions, like the crunch time minutes and their struggles on offense and things like that. I've tried to express that I think a lot of that, if not most of that, falls on their star players. And you start to look at the big picture of this season. I know the start of the year was bad, and you know Doc has played some lineups I don't love and all that, but. You look at how they performed with Harden out and the ability to win in games where, you know, they had basically nobody healthy, like beating the Nets, for example, with Shake Milton and DeAnthony Melton in your starting lineup. And I think they're now six and three when Joel Embiid doesn't play. And they're trying out these three guard lineups. They're doing things that we've wanted them to do. Matisse Thibel is playing enough that he's making an impact, but not so much that he's like an essential part of their night-to-night basis. They're winning these games where they're leading in the third quarter. They are not given like they're giving away leads in the sense that they've ended up in some overtime and you know tough late game situations. But they're seeing most of these games out. They're finding ways yeah. to win these games. And so like at, at a certain point, it's just like, why are we yelling about the coach? Like, I understand what the resume is for Doc. I, I'm under no illusion that he is a better coach than like Eric Spolstra, for example, if they are to go into a matchup with the Heat. But the Heat have been pretty bad this year. But yeah, we can only go. He did beat Nick Nurse last year and everyone loves to say how great Nick Nurse is. Yeah, like we watch all these teams around the league every single team in the league is losing bad games in the middle of this year and by and large like yes the sixers lost to the wizards last week and i think both of us agreed that was a game they should have won and there were effort issues and execution issues whatever but like by and large this team has been taking care of business and that has been whether they're healthy or whether they're not healthy like i i think at a certain point the night to night performances and the results are what matter and the fact that they they've been able to get these wins in spite of the fact that they are doing this experimentation they're playing three guard lineups they're playing pj at center to start a game they're doing different things and so they're accomplishing both at once they're learning about this group that they have they're changing lineups up they're working on things they've played a ton of zone which they haven't done in years past which I don't I think zone is for cowards personally. Like I, I, I hate zone defense. But the fact that they're spending so much time 
working on something like that to try to get something like that ready for the playoffs. This is all the stuff that people should be wanting to see the team do, right? They're trying mm-hmm. things. And while they're trying things, they're still getting results. And they're right now they're fifth in the East, but they're a game and a half back of the Bucks in second. They're two yeah. and a half back of Boston in first place. After Boston and Milwaukee both started the year, it looked like they're by far the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And that's not the case anymore. They look like very good teams, but they look like one of a group of very good teams in the East. Like there is a clear top five teams. Most of the teams we talked about, Elliot, Boston, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Cleveland, Philadelphia is the the top five. All those teams are good for different reasons. And the Sixers, there's not a lot of separation between them and these top teams in the East. And so that being the case, they have an MVP caliber player on their roster. I don't think he's in a position to win that award right now, but Joel has been that good this year. At what point do we stop like every game or every loss or every bad stretch they go through stops being a conversation about the coach? Like it just, it's, and it undermines the credibility of the argument to like when they get to moments or have games where we could sit there and say, this is a coaching issue and this is a reason you might want to move on from him. Screaming about the coach every single night just undermines your argument when we actually need to have those discussions. I, I agree with that. Um, I think that I, I'll put my hand up. I know I'm guilty of it sometimes where if they lose, my initial reaction is just fire Doc because it's, <laughs> it's the easiest move to make because you're not really trading any way uh, away the core pieces. But what made me think about it last night was heading into the fourth quarter. I should have wrote the stat down, so I apologize if this is, is it not completely correct. But I think there's something like 17-1, and one, maybe 18-1 and one now, when they have a lead heading into the fourth quarter. And it made me think about the perception of Doc versus the reality. Because the perception, if you asked me before I saw, saw that stat, would be they're sloppy at the end of games. He's always making weird decisions. There's you know lineup issues at the end of games. There's out-of-bound play issues. It feels like they never have a great end-of-game play, play ready. But the reality is they're not losing many of these games. I mean, even the Lakers game that we talked about, which was – you know, oh, like what a disastrous performance by him. They still won the game. So I think the maybe the reality of the NBA season, which for me is different than the NFL is, and you you brought this up, that because there's so many games, you can't really ride that roller coaster night in, night out because things change so so drastically. But overall, if you look at this Sixer season, you know, outside of a stretch at the beginning of the year, when they were, for what it's worth, missing guys, and Bede was missing time, Harden was missing time, Maxie's missed a bunch of time, if you would have told me before the season that they would be where they are with all these injuries they've dealt with, with PJ being a complete non-factor, with Thibault playing better but not really showing that step you wanted to see, the fact that they are where they are, I mean, that is without question a win. If I would have thought even three weeks ago that they would, we'd be talking about this team as maybe they don't have a real shot at the one seed, they could have the one seed by the time we record the next pod, right? Like anything's possible. So while we love to rip Doc, I think the – the unique circumstances he's dealt with this year, he's actually handled them pretty well. And, you know, one thing that people love to rip him for is how he uses the backup center and these type of things. Montrezl Harrell was great last night. You know, I mean, I think that's a game that someone like Paul Reed is really not capable of having in the way that that Harrell did. So while I love to use Doc as a punching bag, I think ultimately sometimes some of the hits he takes should be directed towards the players far more. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, that 17 and one stat just really, uh, it really opened my eyes to the reality versus a perception. Well, and with the Trez thing specifically, I 
I still would like to see Paul get those minutes because he is a younger developing guy that you're not going to get him to play off form without actually giving him chances to improve. Right. But you do see the difference in, in that Trez has ball skills and like offensive output that Paul just doesn't at this point. Like you can ask Trez to set a screen catch a pass on the short roll and he's a good enough passer in that situation that he can find an open shooter and start a series of passes that gets the Sixers like a quality shot, even if it's not his shot, like you're not reliant on him to score there. And like he has been by and large has been a worse scorer, worse finisher at the rim this year, but I can understand the logic behind playing him in these lineups with Harden where you're going to run pick and rolls, you know, 85% of the time with James. And he, that's, Trez has made his money there his entire career. That's what he's good at. That's why he has an NBA contract and why, for for whatever reason, they gave him a player option. That's one thing that uh, (laughs) we could probably criticize uh, the team for on that one. Um, But I, like, I don't, I also don't think, even as an advocate for Reed, I don't think we can say that he has like definitively won the job at any point this year. He's no. had a couple good games, just like Trez has. And the numbers say that they've gotten crushed when he's been on the floor. Now that's not all his fault. Obviously that's some of that is lineups and the combination of players they have on the floor, but he has not done something to say, I'm the guy every day and Trez shouldn't be playing and vice versa. Like Trez is going to have, bad games like i thought he was in a pretty bad run coming into this one yeah it's a thing they have to constantly evaluate as they go throughout the year and so i i think the important thing is that they have as we were talking about earlier they have more options they can say you know for example if matisse thibault sucks on offense and is missing a bunch of shots and is screwing up their flow they can just take him out and play somebody else like they're they're not holding him Trez is having a bad game. You have Paul Reed if you need a big. You have PJ. You can play small ball. You can do all that. You have options now. And I think the best thing you can say about Doc is he's been willing to try out those options. And they are just, you know, they're finding ways to win games, even if it's not their their plan A every single night. And I they they shouldn't be in a lot of these clutch situations, but I do think people need to pay like I'm not saying people don't watch teams other than the Sixers, but I think if you really pay attention to the NBA at large, it's just like hard to blow teams out now. Yeah. Like it's, it's not like the the nineties where there was a talent gap and you know threes aren't as prevalent, so it's harder to cut into leads as quickly as they do now. You look up and teams are blowing, you know, 15 point leads. In the span of like two minutes. All the time, too. All the time. I look at the box scores. I'm like, oh, that's a blow. I don't have to check it. And then later I'll look and I'm like, holy shit, they came back. Right. Or like the other side of it is, and this is a whole different discussion, but like you're seeing big performances, like 40-point games, 50-point games every single night. Like Mm -hmm. almost every night there's somebody just going off. Like random guys are scoring 35, 38 points because they hit like nine threes or whatever. And that's just a thing that happens a lot more because teams are prioritizing the shot and are prioritizing pace. And, you know, the, the principles of Mike D'Antoni when the seven seconds or less sons kind of shook up the league. Yeah. And so when that's the case, games can swing really, really quickly. And so I, I think 
we have to be able to separate, okay, is this a big lead that the Sixers lost because Doc Rivers did something specifically wrong? Or is this just part of the new NBA and like how things work? And yeah. so you don't want to, you don't want to separate him from blown leads and all these other things, but you do have to say, like, for example, the Sixers committing an eight second violation when they yeah. have all of Harden, Melton and Maxi on the floor. That's not the coach. Like a three guard lineup has to be able to break full court pressure, full stop. That's just not something that should happen. If you think that's something they need to work on in practice, I, that's like high school, college level yeah. stuff. That's not something that the, those guys should ever struggle to do. Yeah, I mean, he catches a lot of heat for the players playing poorly. Like bottom line, he just does. Now he's the head coach. That's how it works, right? I mean, that's just flat out how it works. But the other thing I'll give him credit for that I probably don't give him enough credit for overall is I do think the Sixers in some ways have a uniquely challenging locker room to deal with. You're around Joel Moore, and I think he's a good locker room guy. I'm not saying that. But in terms of managing when he's going to play, dealing with when he wants to play, but maybe he shouldn't. Joe, uh, James Harden coming into this locker room. Also some of those unique challenges. Um, you know, bringing Maxi along, right? Maxi's improved under Doc. Now you could say how much of that is Doc, but the bottom line is with Doc as a head coach, Maxi has exceeded expectations and really improved. And you bring it up all the time. Joel seems to really like Doc. At the very least, doesn't want him gone because you brought it up. He does play his best ball under him. Now, maybe that's somewhat coincidental because of where Joel is at in his career. Yeah. He would have improved anyway. But the bottom line is when you think of why they've lost, right? Now, I do think he mismanaged the Ben thing to an extent. But I also don't know if I can blame him. Everyone says, well, why are you complimenting Ben all the time? Well, what do you want him to do? Get up there and rip into Ben nonstop? Right. I just, you know, it is what it is. So when, when I think big picture of Doc and I remove my emotion of game to game, he's been pretty successful overall. And I don't know what I don't know what I would point to and go, this is something he definitively cost them. Well, and as I said on this pod several times, I think the ship has sailed. Like we are in January 2023. They're not firing Doc Rivers in February and doing absolutely anything in the playoffs. And for what it's worth, it, nor should they. Look at where they're at. They are not in a situation where I think even discussing firing Doc is a real discussion. Yeah, you're shaking things up for the sake of shaking things up. Like I, I understand in the offseason why people were like, they want a new voice or a new guy in there. Like I, I get, I am fully aware of Doc Rivers' history. Yeah. And I am not sitting here telling you that we're going to reach early May and all of a sudden the, the years and years of Doc Rivers doing the same wrong and bad things in the playoffs, that all that's going to disappear. And I'm not telling you that he's going to be able to lead them to – any sort of like big run like we yeah. could end up in, in this summer saying they made a mistake not getting rid of him i think there's a difference between saying that and saying they need to fire him now when the team has played well in all sorts of different circumstances mm -hmm. i think it's way different than saying they're going to be better with a new coach when there's very little historical precedent for a new coach coming in at this time of the year and doing anything positive, leading any sort of good team. Like it's just not a thing that happens. And I think people need to readjust their expectations. And honestly, you'll enjoy the team more. I like, that's the <laughs> yeah. one thing that I think is that I see all the time that I, I hope people take this to heart in, in the right way. 
I think people are going to have more fun watching this team if they stop just thinking the coach is should be fired every night and that that's something to like yell about after every game. To have all this existential angst after every single game, win or lose, is just like I don't know how you can enjoy basketball feeling that way. And you know, yeah. maybe it's just some people distrust Doc Rivers so much that they they can't get past that. And I get it, but like take a chill pill, man. Like it's a long season. You're there's no way to get through 82 games. If every game is a crisis, like it's just not as bad as people think it is. And in fact, it's way better than a lot of people think it is. Well, Kyle, I think that is one of the best things you said since we started doing this. And I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think I've, I'm part of that, right? I am somebody that has had trouble enjoying this season because I'm so mad about the last playoff losses or, or I just have trouble believing in them. And you're right. It's been tough for me to enjoy games because even after wins, I'm like, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. Or, well, you know, blah, doc did this, blah, blah, blah. But they won the game. They won the game. And they're, they're what probably 10 and one in their last 11 games or something absurd like that. Maybe two losses, I guess the wizards won and, and and the Pelicans won, but they played much, much better as of late. And I think that you're right that fans should look at this team and try at least to enjoy the season because they have been much better and they have shown reasons to believe in them. Um, the last question I have for you before we wrap this up might be a good way to actually end a lot of these pods, but um, just where are you at in terms of the hierarchy quickly? Has there been a drastic change? Do you, I know last time we did this, we said we felt it was Boston, Milwaukee, in some order, a gap, and then that next group of the Sixers. You said this earlier, but, you know, there's kind of five teams now. I wouldn't include a Cavs in there yet. I still think they have a lot to prove. But at the end of the day, they played well. Just curious where you're at if the Sixers are still in that next tier. Or do you think they've closed the gap in the top two? I think they've closed the gap. I would put them close to, if not in like a heat with Milwaukee at this point. I okay. think Boston is still probably, has still probably earned enough trust to say they're the top team. And by record they are the top team mm-hmm. um but milwaukee has just been really funky recently uh the sixers have been taking care of business with or without Embiid, with or without harden um and you know honestly at this point too i think brooklyn has earned a lot of the respect by you know going on this long streak and you know we can pick apart the opponents and all that but ultimately like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have been unbelievable yeah. um i did want to say one more thing to uh finish off of the uh what's it called the doc thing the the doc thing we if you look back at and i'm not comparing these guys to shaq and kobe if you look back to 2000 when the lakers broke through there was a chance that if they don't win that game seven against portland that whole thing could have gone really sideways like they had lost both of the last two games in that series, they were down big to Portland in the second half of that game. And there's now the iconic lob between Shaq and Kobe. And they, you know, that was like, that was their big breakthrough moment. And like, you never know when those are going to come. Like you felt like that was inevitable for those guys, or it feels inevitable in hindsight that that happened because of everything they achieved after that. But you don't ever know when somebody is just going to flip the script. Like Giannis, when he he wins the finals, we didn't know he was going to have like one of his greatest free throw shooting games ever in yeah. that series to end the series and you know put together one of the best 
finals performances ever. Like as much and as we he say was playoff failure before that, you know, right. As much that. as we like to go in and say, well, this is the same old guy, the same old team, whatever it is. Um, you don't know. Like we really don't know until these guys get to these moments. And so I obviously have my inclinations of like how this season is going to go. Like I'm still skeptical like everybody else, but to treat the whole season as like, well, don't bother. Like they're just going to lose here. Like we don't know that. Like yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler in the, the bubble is like the hero of the Eastern conference destroys all these teams. The next year, Milwaukee made Miami look horrendous. Then the next year, Jimmy goes God mode again. And they're within one shot of making the NBA finals. Like right. this league swings a lot quicker than I think people realize. And, ultimately it's about do you have the talent to win and i i think the sixers have the top end talent to win it's whether these guys are truly among the elite of the elite or you know just very good players who are going to end up falling short no i i think that's right and that's probably one change i've made in my perception of the team they do have the top end talent obviously they have Embiid. we all knew that but Harden's been unbelievable. Melton has been a pleasant surprise. I still believe Maxie will turn back into what he was. Um, Tobias has been really good. We even brought him up on this pod. But, you know, as your fourth best player, you know, whatever, that's obviously a great addition. So, or not addition, that's obviously a great thing to have. So I, do, I agree with you. I, I've got out of the who cares this season, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm enjoying the ride. I'm believing in the team again. And uh, maybe it's because Doc's a good coach. Who knows? But um, – <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, Kyle, this has been a good time. I think we're going to be back on Saturday, potentially. They play Friday night. We'll see if Embiid plays. You're saying you're not really sure. But look, another chance to see this three-guard lineup, to see if Maxi can bounce uh, back from some stuff. So any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, my brain is about empty right now, man. <laughs> I'm fried from, for a bunch of different reasons this Amen. week. So. Amen. Plus, I just think in January, it's just incredibly tough to be motivated it's dark early i enjoy just being comfortable after five o'clock so uh yeah it's just a tough month to get going but thanks to everybody who listened um as i said at the top download the odyssey app to get all the episodes first uh and also leave a five-star review um you know any questions you have we'll talk about them on the pod helps the show grow and uh it would just be a nice a nice thing to do if you're still listening so thank you everybody for listening uh this has been clap your hands and we'll talk to you guys next time After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.